all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Before we get started, our usual um, self, shameless self-promotion, follow us on all the social meets. Yes. Um, at All Bad Things Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I like how you did the Instagram. You liked it? Instagram. <laughs> And um, on our website, allbadthingspod.com, and you can email email us at allbadthingspod at gmail. Unique New York. <laughs> Unique New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also rate and subscribe. I've been forgetting yes. to say that. Please do. If you can. You already you know to do that anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, we just have to remind you. Never, yeah, never just doubt. mention it. Yeah. I think it. I think it's in... Um, like the contract for doing a podcast, you have to say that. Yeah. Like once per episode. Yeah. Um, today, I would also like to... So, you know, I was talking about, like, plugging a favorite podcast each week. Mm-hmm. There's still plenty more to go, but I would actually like to plug an Instagram account today. Oh, okay. All right. That is hilarious and wonderful. It's called Unsolved Mysteries People. Okay. And it is screen still, essentially most of what they do is screenshots of episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I, I like where we're going. The the people who are being interviewed mm-hmm. and their name is across the, the bottom. Mm-hmm. So first of all, Unsolved Mysteries, Unsolved Mysteries was from quite a while ago, so the pictures look pretty dated. Yeah, it's, I think it started in, like, 89 or 90. Yeah. Like so, a lot of bad hair. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, the 90s. Nothing's HD. It's all... No, yeah. It's all below standard definition. Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> it's so all they, analog. So, they take their names and use them as anagrams to spell <laughs> something else, and it's usually really funny things. I actually should have had this pulled up, because some of them are, like, absolutely hilarious. Let me see. Um... Try to pronounce that name, first of all. I'm going to go with Stephen uh, Schlieb, or Schliebe. Okay, and he's a criminalist. Mm-hmm. His anagram is the lesbian's peach. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure some of those names are hard to come up with the anagrams for. Schliebe. Schliebe. But anyway, so they're really funny. I They're always good for a laugh, so I definitely recommend following them. Anyway, that's my little plug for today. Anything you want to plug or mention or anything? Uh, if you are into, like, video game or, like, uh, that kind of culture, you know, because they talk mm-hmm. about movies and TV shows, too. Yeah. But there's a podcast I've been listening oh, yeah. to called Wizard and the Bruiser. Oh, okay. Which is also produced by um, Marcus Parks. Oh, yeah. He, uh, last, last podcast yes, on one. he yeah. pops in. He's, he's not in every episode, but mm-hmm. he, he shows up in a couple here and there. And I listened to the history of uh, Grand Theft Auto the other day, oh. which was a two-parter, and it was actually pretty pretty fascinating. That's cool. Who's it hosted by, or what are the hosts like? The, I can't remember the guy's name. I know I'm bad at that too. But they're in that they're in that vein. They're almost in the last podcast vein. Okay. They're that kind of comedy. Gotcha. So, so if you're in the last podcast and you like video games, 
check out Wizard and the Bruiser. Wizard and the Bruiser. What's, what does that name come from? I have no idea. Yeah, that's an interesting name. Yeah. I've only listened to like four or five episodes, but it's okay. been pretty good. Cool. Always fun to find a new podcast. Yes. All right. Are you ready for this one? Yes, I am. All right. You've been teasing it all day. I, I've been teasing it for well, like a teasing, couple weeks. Teasing that I know it. Yes. All day. Yes. So I'm I'm curious what this what this will be. Do you want me to say it or do you want me to reveal? I would just jump into it. All right. See if I can figure it out. Oh well, I mean it's gonna. It says it in the intro. Oh what it well, is, okay. So. Well then, great. <laughs> Even better. So this is the story of the Coconut Grove nightclub oh. fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, this, this is a... Uh, this is a biggie. A watershed moment. Yes. Uh-huh. You, can, you can say mm-hmm. in uh, regulation, certainly how yeah. um, businesses operate, mm-hmm. especially if you're in the, I mean, entertainment industry, which is a hotel, restaurant. Yeah, like establishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. where lots of people go to congregate. Yes. So. So, yes, okay. and, and the reason I chose this one is because the 75th anniversary is right around the oh, corner. Oh, really? Actually, it's that old. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. shit. November 28th, 1942. Wow. Okay, I thought it was like in the 50s for no, some reason. No, during World that, War II. That would II. still be old. Right. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was in the 50s. So this is coming out on the 27th. And the next day will be the 75th anniversary, and it was right after Thanksgiving, and we're actually recording this on Thanksgiving Day. Yes, we are. Day, so, so happy, happy, Thanksgiving. happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> Here's a tragedy for yes. you. <laughs> Our gift to you. Here's a tragedy about something really awful. Yeah. Yeah. So on November 28th, 1942, um, <clears throat> I, and, okay, I already, like, think I lied on this first sentence. But no, no, I didn't. Wait. Okay. <laughs> I thought it Have said. Have you been lying to yourself? No. Literally. I thought it said the deadliest fire, which it is not. The deadliest nightclub fire. Yes, in history. but yes. Yeah, because yeah, there I mean, were other there were other theater fires, the well, Iroquois theater. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, nine eleven was technically a fire. Well, that's, well, that's, but regardless. Yeah. But um, yeah, there are deadlier ones. I'm the Iroquois, sure. Fire the, the, theater fire of 1903 was the deadliest. Oh, um, I don't know about that one. Um, yeah, that's a, that's another good one. Anyway, <laughs> let me start over. On November 28th, 1942, the deadliest nightclub fire in history took place at the Coconut Grove nightclub, killing. Do you remember how many? I'm gonna go with it was. I'm gonna go with it was like 200 plus, like 250. 492. Yes. Not that. Are you serious? Almost 500 and injuring many more. Mm -hmm. No shit. I didn't know it was that many people. Yeah. Uh, The the real reason I know know anything about this Uh is there was a movie that they made about it. I can't. Like a dramatization? No, like a. Oh, a documentary? No, no, no. I think it. Well, it was a dramatization, but like, um, not like some cheesy. Oh, like a feature TV. film. Yes. Okay. What was it called? I or what can't was remember, but I remember that um, I probably saw it when I was like seven or eight or nine. Like I remember being a little kid. So the eighties. But it was on. It was on HBO. Okay. I saw it a couple of times, and like it, it is a very famous fire. Yes. Yes, it is. And well, think of how many people. Yeah. And so yeah. And so and I already know some of the root causes of why so many people died, but. Let's, okay. let's let's save that for the audience. Right, and you yes. can interject too. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, this is a brutal one. It is. And it's also kind of a bit of a flashback. This is episode 22 for us, mm-hmm. but it takes us back to our first episode, Our first right? episode was a nightclub fire. Which I think we mentioned the Coconut Grove in. I think I did at some point. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the station nightclub fire was fourth or fifth deadliest. Y- yeah, it was, it was only 100 people. It was top five. People. Yeah. Only 100, only 100 people. people. Yeah. This is almost 500. This is 492. Yes. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so yeah, so we covered the station nightclub fire, and we mentioned this. Um, so this is our second nightclub fire yes. <laughs> that we've covered. So. so one out of every eleven episodes <laughs> has been a, is a nightclub, nightclub fire. fire. <laughs> we'll have to do that again for the thirty third. Right. Th- this fire um, is one of the first. Well, actually, I should say nightclub fires are one of the first tragedy wiki wormholes I ever fell down that I can recall where I became like kind of fascinated with tragedies and disasters Mm -hmm. by like I remember I think I was working and at the um, radio marketing company at the time our research marketing and marketing research rather (laughs) and (laughs) research marketing we we did it all folks yes (laughs) um and I was reading Wikipedia because we didn't have anything to do half the day. And I got, like, on this binge of, like, nightclub fire after nightclub fire on Wikipedia and just was absolutely fascinated by it. And ho- fascinated and horrified, but... Yeah. Fascinated, fascinated in a just... As always. Horrible way. So I guess you could say this is like a gateway This is a gateway drug? <laughs> For this me, is your yes. Disaster gateway <laughs> yes, drug? Yes, yes. Is nightclub that's, fire. That's interesting. I wonder what mine would be. I don't even like know. Like the first type of tragedy you ever really became kind of fascinated with or interested in? Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't tell you what the first one was. Mm. But there's, mm-hmm. there's been many. Yeah. So the Coconut Grove nightclub, which technically actually wasn't a nightclub um, because they that wasn't an official designation in Boston at the time because the Coconut Grove was in Boston. Um, so it was technically a restaurant slash supper club. You know, yeah. old-fashioned supper club. Well, plus, um, a lot of those places, and you're talking about 1942, this is only 11 years or 10 years after the end of Prohibition. I think nine. Nine mm-hmm. years? Mm-hmm. So a lot of those places, which had been like kind of like speakeasies and stuff like that, once Prohibition ended, became right. like legit businesses right, again. Right, right. Well, and we'll, we'll talk through that, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was in Boston... On 17 Piedmont Street. Yeah, I'm not sure if I knew that, that, that this was in Boston. I, I mm-hmm. think I thought that... The, I was thinking it was in Chicago. I think that's what I was... The Iroquois Theater, I think, was... That that fire was in Chicago, I believe. Okay. But, um... So, Boston. Okay. Yeah, Boston, Boston, 1942. Yes. This is interesting. Yes. Um, now, I did live in Boston for a few months to go to Berkeley, and... I recognized when I looked like where this was on a map in the city of Boston, I totally recognized it. It's basically just south of Boston Common. Okay. Um, and oh, sure. the Boston Public Garden. Makes sense. So it's it's in a like a, like a high volume area. area. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it was back then anyway. Yeah. Um, it's close to Tufts and Emerson. And close to the Wilbur Theater, which is actually a popular destination for a lot of podcasters these days to do live podcasts. Well, I know that that's a big uh, comedy club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Wilbur Theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, or a comedy venue rather. Yeah, they they host yeah. a lot of comedy specials yeah. have mm-hmm. been done there. So the building itself that became the Coconut Grove was built in 1916. It had originally been a garage and warehouse complex, 
made of brick and concrete, and it covered more than half a block, so it was a big wow, building. big place. Um, it was opened as the Coconut Grove on October 27th, 1927. So we actually okay. just passed the 90th anniversary of the opening of the okay. Coconut Grove about a month ago. And this is uh, two years before the stock market's going to crash. Yeah, uh-huh, yep. Um, so it was uh, opened by two band leaders, Mickey Albert and Jacques Renard. Uh-uh. I love Jacques Renard. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who You're that is. You're a big fan of his music, <laughs> yes. are you? I, I am a fan. <laughs> I, I celebrate his entire catalog. <laughs> the people who financed this new commercial venture for Albert and Renard uh, were connected, as it were. Yeah. I'll bet they were. Oh, yeah, because this is 27, so this is also Prohibition. Yes. Well, yes, yeah. yeah. Right? When did Prohibition start? Uh, 1920, I think, or oh, 1919. Okay. okay. Um, so their friends um, sort of took control of it to open a speakeasy inside. Mm. So it was a speakeasy. Did yep. I call it or what? You did. You did. <laughs> so it became notorious as a hangout for gangsters during the Prohibition. Yeah. Um, this is in Boston, too. You gotta yeah, remember. yeah, which, yeah, some mob connections. Yeah. In well, Boston. like every neighborhood kind of had its own gang. Yeah. From what I understand of that era. Right. Yeah. So yeah. This is probably where that neighborhood's gang, like, hung out. At the Coconut Grove, yeah. yeah. So by 1931, uh, Alpert and Renard were indebted to the mob. <laughs> couldn't keep the. Shock, shocking. Right? Couldn't keep the club afloat, so they put it up for sale. And it was bought by Charles Solomon, a.k.a. King Solomon, a.k.a. Boston Charlie. Do you think he oh, has any connections? Oh, I do recognize heard that. Boston Charlie? Yes, oh, I recognize okay. that nickname, yes. Do you know anything about him or how? No, but I've, okay. I've watched that, um, there's that mobsters thing that it's either A&E or I think National Geographic might do it. Like a series? Yes. And I'm pretty sure, they didn't do one specifically on him, but he, they, he came pops up, up and, yeah. Gotcha. Yes, and he was very well known mm-hmm. in Boston. Um, and yes, he was a mob boss, as if you couldn't tell from all those nicknames, yeah. right? <laughs> well, it was either a mob boss or a baseball player. It was one or the other. Right. Specifically, he was a prominent Jewish-Russian mob boss. Okay. And I've always... I don't know if this T- is... Talk about adding some spice to the mix. Right? I don't know if this is true. This is, like, just from having watched mob movies in, like, The Sopranos or whatever. But I've always gotten the impression that, like... Yeah, the, the mafia is nothing you want to mess with, but don't ever fuck with the Russian mob. You know? Kind of like, like, they're... like Russia, period. Yeah, right? Just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. yeah, our country kind of found out about that the hard way recently, didn't we? Anyway, so he was, he was very prominent during the Prohibition area. Um, he built the club into a success through various means, I'm sure. Um, but in January of 1933, he was brought before a grand jury in New York on allegations of running whiskey mm. that was um, whiskey to the tune of $14 million worth of whiskey that's a, for that time even. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot of whiskey. That's probably $500 million today. Something crazy uh, like uh, that? Yeah, pro- probably, yeah. At least, yeah, 10 times, yeah. if not, well, more than that, yeah. Um, he was released on bail. And returned to Boston, but within two weeks, he was shot to death. Shocker. In the, right? In the bathroom of the Cotton Club. Yeah. 
at that time, Solomon's lawyer, Barnett Barney Wolanski. <laughs> Everyone's got a nickname. Sounds like a guy up and up. <laughs> right. Took ownership of the coconut grove, filing incorporation papers in October of 33, along with Angelo Lippi and Catherine Welch. So those were his business partners on the paperwork. And Prohibition ended a couple months later, in December 33. Okay, I think I got that so, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 33? 33. Okay. So the grove continued to thrive... So it was it was a pretty popular spot. And in 1941, Wolanski brought in a well-known interior designer named Reuben Bodenhorn. (laughs) These are great names. That's a great name for an interior designer. though. Yeah. What what was his last name again? Bodenhorn. Bodenhorn. Interior Bodenhorn. Bodenhorn. So he was brought in by Wolanski to redecorate. The club. Give it a facelift, whatever. So, Bodenhorn... Wipe the blood off the walls. (laughs) Bodenhorn decided to go with a sort of, like, South Pacific, South Seas tropical theme. With, like, rattan and bamboo wall hangings. That's interesting how that would play in Boston. Right? Um, Artificial palm trees, heavy drapes... Dark blue satin canopies mm, on the I, ceiling. I, I see where mm-hmm. all of this is going. So coconut shell light fixtures or coconut shit that can catch fire really <laughs> easily. We'll get to that. Yes, I'm Shot. sure we will. Shut. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Um, <coughs> and it also had a roof that could be rolled back in the summer for starlight dancing. Really? That's. Pretty impressive right? for that era. For, for 19... Uh, in, in Boston in yeah. 1941, yeah. So the Coconut Grove was a total of 10,250 square feet. It's a pretty That's big pretty place. pretty big. Mm-hmm. And it was divided into, like, multiple... You said it was half a block? Is yeah, yeah, almost yeah. half a block, yeah. And it was divided into, like, multiple rooms and lounges and bars. Uh, the entrance on Piedmont Street was a revolving door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And that led into the foyer, or foyer, depends on how you pronounce it. And to the right of the foyer was the caricature bar and the main dining room. And if you kept going through those rooms, or through that area, um, you would get to the Melody Lounge. Um, I'm sorry, no, the new lounge. The new lounge was there. Uh, Downstairs, under the entrance and foyer, was the Melody Lounge. Um, and also downstairs was, like, the kitchen, the freezers, other storage areas, stuff like that. Um, I have a feeling that's going to come into play <laughs> I, as well. I think it might. God. The club got its restaurant license in 1942. Its capacity was a maximum of 460 occupants. Okay, so they were just a tad over. Well, well that's they were. The that's the death toll. Yeah, we'll get into that, too. Jeez, Okay. Um, yeah. It had 100 tables, 400 chairs, and 30 fixed stools. So and probably the... just people crammed in wherever they could fit. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So, on November 28th, 1942, the Boston College football team was hosting Holy Cross. Holy Cross College at Fenway. Isn't Holy Cross like a... Like a subsidiary, I guess, of Notre Dame. Aren't I don't they? know. I mean, I'm guessing it's a Catholic school. I think I think they. Are. I don't know where they are out of. I I think they're like a sister school or something. Okay. Like something satellite school. Okay, so they were playing at Fenway. Mm. 
in Back Bay. Um, and BC was undefeated at that time, thought to be headed for the Sugar Bowl in January 43. Um, but the game was a huge upset as Holy Cross massacred Boston College 55-12. Wow. Yeah. Putting up 55 points in football. On an undefeated team. In 1942 was pretty impressive. <laughs> right? Was there was the forward pass even around back then? Like, barely. Yeah. Like, it certainly hadn't been even close to being, like, mastered. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. You, in that era, you were going to see maybe, like, a total of five passes a game. Mm-hmm. Like, not even kidding. Yeah. So there's supposed to be a big victory celebration for Boston College at the Coconut Grove. <laughs> Oops. But those plans definitely changed. Um, so to sort of finish out this, like, side plot, um, Boston College ended up going to the Orange Bowl instead. Okay. In January 43 and lost two... The University of Alabama, ah. which is a common storyline these days in football, losing to Alabama. Yes. Um, but it was still a Saturday night. There were still Holy Cross fans who wanted to celebrate. People so, wanted to party. Yeah. yeah. So the Coconut Grove was hopping. College kids probably in Boston for their first time. Yeah. 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 Like, let's check the city out. Right. You know. It was right after Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So people are going to want to go out and party. Right. Football fans, soldiers, because this is 42, so this is in the middle of World War II. Um, this is just at the start of it for us. Yeah, yeah like a year into it, not mm-hmm. quite a year into it, yeah. Almost exactly a year into it. Um, and their they're significant others and people celebrating Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving weekend, were packed into the Coconut Grove to the tune of some 1,000-plus people. Yeah. Remember, the capacity was 460. Yep. So it was well over double capacity. And they were all smoking cigarettes, every single yeah, person. Yeah, probably, yeah. So they were, they were suffocating themselves. And drinking themselves. and right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, around 10, 15 p.m., in the Melody Lounge that was downstairs underneath the like foyer and entrance area, Goody Goodell... <laughs> A singer and piano player was performing on a revolving stage. This is very, oh. very fancy, right? This is the same place that has the retractable roof. Yeah. Well, no, that's upstairs. Yes, no, but I'm oh, saying it's the same, same building. Club, yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah, they were they were freaking. They had a lot way of, like, ahead of way yeah. ahead of their time. Definitely, yeah. So now we're going to talk about the origin of the fire, but there's actually still a fair amount of controversy over the origin sure. of the fire. But there yeah, is I don't doubt that. there is a generally accepted narrative. That, that's kind of what we're going to go with, but it's not without its controversy. So just to note, this hasn't like shown any sort of conclusive proof. So causation is still kind of we'll, we'll up, get into up for, like the official, up, for, up for discussion. So yes, to speak. and there's a lot of theories yeah. about it. So, but the overriding theory appears to be that at some point during the evening, a guy on a date had unscrewed the light bulb on one of the wall fixtures mm-hmm. above him to darken the corner he was in so he could make out with his girlfriend. So and he's like, oh, I want a little privacy over here, see? Can I guess that it was so fucking hot that, like, when he was unscrewing, he was like, ah, oh, fuck. And the thing fell on the on the floor, the light bulb? You can absolutely guess that. And it's not right. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes, guess. sometimes guesses are, are not. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think as of most of mine are <laughs> right. not correct. So, so no that the the loosening of the light bulb went without incident. Oh, okay. But at some point later on, like I said, around ten fifteen p.m., 
Uh, there was a 16-year-old busboy named Stanley Tomaszowski or Tomaszowski. 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 He doesn't have uh, Tomaszowski. Two, two nicknames. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, he was not connected. As oh, far that's as I right. Know. He was just a busboy. Um, Tomaszowski. We'll call him. No, sure. it's an E. Tomaszowski. Tomaszowski. Tom, Tomaszowski. Um, he was instructed by his boss to go tighten the light bulb back in to turn it back on. Okay. Um, so he stood on a chair to reach the fixture, but he couldn't see the bulb because it was dark in the corner because the bulb was unscrewed. So he lit a match so he could see. Mm-hmm. Put it up towards where the light bulb was. Saw where it was, screwed in the bulb, put out the match. But the the idea is that unbeknownst to Tomaszewski, the um the match actually ignited the the light fixture, the fake coconut light fixture. Oh yeah, okay. And that that was the source of the fire. It's conclusive that it was in the Melody Lounge and in that area. Where it started. Yeah, but um. But as to what exact... Anyway, that's like the overriding theory of what That's the most popular one. Yes. So, yeah, we'll go with that one. So, waiters tried to put out the fire, like, with water, like glasses of water. Sure. But it it didn't work, and so the fire started climbing to the ceiling. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, Waitstaff tried to pull the fake palm tree. There was, like, a fake palm tree either next to it or as part of the light fixture or whatever. They tried to pull it away from the wall so that it wouldn't go up to the ceiling, but... They were too late. So thanks to the genius idea of our interior designer, Ruben Bodenhorn, of putting giant swaths of fabric all over the ceiling. Yeah. The fire caught on the fabric, obviously, and spread very quickly as a result. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't get super into it at any point in this story, but there's certain things about, like, that it wasn't fire retardant, that it was um, treated a certain way, etc. Um, but anyway, I mean, just probably think very about, few people even at that that time even really thought about that. Well, there were codes sure. and things, and and we'll get into that yeah. shot. We were saying that a lot <laughs> tonight um, about about that a little bit. But anyway, so uh, the patrons in the Melody Lounge were like showered with sparks and burning sure. bits of fabric, um, panicked obviously because. That's terrifying. And their only, well, not necessarily their only exit, but the way everybody went was the way they came. The main exit. Well, the upstairs. Main okay. They had to get upstairs. So they ran towards the staircase. So there was only one staircase. It was four feet wide, led from the Melody Lounge upstairs. And so they, they ran up there. Some tried to escape through the emergency exit at the top of the staircase, but it was locked. As emergency exits should never, never, never be. Um, So unfortunately, the fire was already spreading very quickly up the stairs. Um, It said that it was like burning people's hair as they ran up the stairs because it was climbing up the ceiling initially. Essentially like following them. Yeah. Yeah. Chasing them. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's fucked up. I know. It's terrifying, isn't it? And it, it all is just happening so, so quickly. So once the fire reached the upper level, like out the staircase, it received a new burst of oxygen, mm-hmm. um, which created a fireball that exploded through the front entryway and spread into the main dining room. Holy shit. 
People were sitting at crowded small tables. And, people, and it, there's people everywhere. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, like, they're double They're capacity just crammed plus. in there. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they were waiting for a show to start in the main dining room. The 10 o'clock show, it was already late. It was already, like, 15 minutes late. Within five minutes, smoke and flames had spread through the entire club. Oh, so this place just went up. And most likely because of all of those artificial decor items um some people never made it out of their seats and were asphyxiated by the smoke or burned alive Jesus. yeah i know it, it's it's really awful um the rest those who were not immediately killed tried either running or crawling to the exits um crawling because obviously stay below the smoke mm-hmm. that is actually a thing um the lights also went out in the club. The electricity went out in the club pretty quickly after the fire was spreading. Oh, so aside from the light from the fire itself, there was nothing they were else. in dark. Yeah. yeah. So and, and then there was thick smoke all over the place. So visibility was really difficult. And as the locked emergency door on the stairwell showed, there were problems with modes of aggress, like mm-hmm. ways to get out of this place. Um, and that's pretty typical of these horrible fires. Yes. Like the, the station nightclub, the bouncer wouldn't let people out of out that of one. Bank. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's still up for debate, too. But anyway, oh, but, it's, right. but it's still the, the station really only had two exits. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, one in the front, one in the back. Right. And people just naturally went for the front one because that's where right. they came in. Well, this this place had more exits, but they were, like, they were locked. locked, which is mind-blowing, but... Actually, um, well, I read one of the main reasons that a lot of these exits were locked was to prevent people from sneaking out without paying. Yeah, yeah. So it was meant for like... Yeah, or just plain stealing. like Yeah, yeah, trying to up and walk Riff out Riff-raff, getting in and mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. People they don't want it in It used there. to be a speakeasy, so yeah. I'm sure they were used to a rough crowd at yeah. times. <laughs> so, yeah. So most people tried out, tried to head out the way they came in, as is very common and natural. Normal. Right? Um, unfortunately, the main entrance was a revolving door. Mm-hmm. And a revolving door in a panicked stampede is rendered completely useless almost immediately. Yes. So people piled up both inside and outside the door, oh, God. jamming it yeah. almost immediately. And the flames... People are people are not going to wait their one person no, to turn. Oh, hell no. There's a fucking... Fireball when, when every When everything around you is in flames. Yes. Yes. Jesus Christ. Um, the flames followed them to yeah. the door and killed anyone like, who li- had. Like literally. Yes. And because, again, oxygen, right? Mm-hmm. More oxygen outside. Um, and killed anyone who had survived the initial pileup. There were side doors and double emergency doors at the back of the club, but again, most of them had been locked shut. There were a few other unlocked exits, but they opened inward. As if we hadn't learned anything from the Victoria Hall stampede, mm-hmm. remember that? So when a bunch of people like stampeded to them, no one made it out because they just got blocked. Yeah. And then people started dying, and yeah. so it was completely blocked. Even if it had opened outward... People still would have got blocked because there was so much. I mean, most pressure. most well, but, likely. But that's why the crash but the bar. Initial, at least yes. it like yeah. But initially, an opening. Initially, some people would have gotten out. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. God, this is this is just freaking. I know. It must have been. I can't imagine how horrifying this was to go through. And there are survivors who have mm-hmm. told their stories. You know, there's a lot of very incredible survivor stories out there. Um, some employees led patrons out through dark back hallways because they knew their way around. Service entrances. Yep, where yeah. they were able to escape. So. Yep. That, that was again pretty Again, heroic, this was at really. one time a speakeasy, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised little, if there wasn't a little tunnel yeah, somewhere. Or. Yeah. Other employees were able to escape through windows since they knew their way around the buildings. Um, and some people were able to hide. And, sur- and I don't know if they... I'm, I'm guessing the implication was they survived in industrial refrigerators and meat lockers. Oh, okay. So they were freezing yeah. cold, but at least, you know, it was potentially a safe place. And, yeah, they're trapped in there for the time being. Right. But people Better are going to come and investigate, and they'll be alive. We'll put out the fire, and then, And yeah. they'll be able to pound on a door and be like, hey, we're trapped in here. Right, exactly. So, God. Some people were able to find hidden exit doors in the dining room and sure. the lounge. So... And there was probably, like, a false door here or there. Yeah, maybe. Um, or like a false wall, meaning oh right, you like know. an entrance, like it's a doorway, but it's like painted in, so you can't right. really tell. Like a secret passage. Because again, it speakeasy. was a speakeasy. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty of pictures of <sighs> bodies, burn victims, whatever. I actually didn't linger too much on those. Yeah, it, I've never seen those. Yeah, it's and I'm sad not. And I'm not going and, to. Yeah. Um, and there, like I said, there are a fair number of survivor stories, both in print, you know, like online, and YouTube videos. So oh, really? It's, yeah, because they okay. were able to interview. I mean, at this point, anyone who's going to a club 75 years ago is it's almost... It's in their 90s, basically. Y- well, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But they, if they recorded these, like, 10, 20 years ago, then they were older, but they were Get still around. Get it on around. the record. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, at this point, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. Hopefully yes. not of... Uh... Well, this is just the club. Okay. Part of the club after the fire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you see the ceiling? Yep. How just all that fabric is... Burned Jesus fabric is like hanging Christ. from the ceiling. And then wow. this is the floor plan. So you can kind of see where everything was. Does that help illustrate? This is, to, uh, this is available online, obviously, and we should. Oh, to here's it. the revolving door. Oh wow, that's a tight. That's just a tight space to begin with. Right, it's not even like a huge revolving door no. or anything. Mm-hmm. And leading to it is a bunch of tight spaces. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do you see how many little rooms and mm-hmm. nooks and things like that? Yep. Plus, if you were just like in the bathroom or something, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. So oh, yeah. God damn. So, oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, so now let's talk about like the rescue efforts. What? And this is actually a really fascinating bit of the story too. Like you said, there's a lot of stuff about like um, fire codes and whatnot, but the, this part's pretty fascinating too. So at 10:15 p.m., right around the time this fire started, the Boston Fire Department got a call from the fire call box 1514 at the intersection of Stewart and Carver Streets, about three blocks away from the Grove. Okay. They went on went to the call, call, and the call was for a car fire. A car had caught on fire. Okay. On Stewart Street. So they extinguished the fire. Didn't take long. It was a yeah. pretty easy call. But soon after, one of the firefighters saw the smoke coming from the Grove. Okay, yeah. Because they were just a few blocks away. Um, so they went toward the club, bystanders on the street started running to them to try and tell them what had happened. 
like, hey, we need you guys. Like, uh, yeah, now. this club is completely on fire. <laughs> yeah. A civilian also called the Boston Fire Department from another call box to report the fire. And the fire chief at the scene called in a third alarm at 1023, a fourth alarm in t- at 1024, yeah. and a fifth alarm at 1102. Which just tells you kind of the uh, ferocity of the fire, or that how much, all these people are seeing it from the outside and like, holy shit. Well, plus there are so many people impacted mm-hmm. that it's just a huge amount of casualties, huge amount of victims and God. injured. The Navy, the Army, the Coast Guard, and the National Guard were all also called in to assist with evacuating the injured. Mm -hmm. So one of the, kind of one of the morbid details about initially identifying bodies Mm -hmm. was that men were actually relatively easy to initially identify because they had their wallets on them in their pockets. Oh, okay, sure. But the women were missing their ID because it was either in their purses, which they didn't have on them because they were had run, mm-hmm. or in their coats, which was at the coat check okay. area. So that's yeah, know, that's just true. A sad but, little yeah. Oh god. Aside, um, another mm. interesting side note about the victims is one of the more famous victims of the Coconut Grove fire was Buck Jones. Does that sound familiar? It does because we lived just off of Buck Jones, Buck Jones Road. Road. Is it the <laughs> yes, same? here in Raleigh. So is there a connection? I, I don't know. I, okay. would, I would think maybe because Buck Jones was a movie star known for playing cowboys. Okay. Uh, he had maybe gone, he was from here. Maybe I don't. I don't know. He had gone to the beast. Here, here being Raleigh, North Carolina, right. by the way, or Cary. <laughs> right. Well, Buck Jones go, yeah. goes crosses, through both. Yeah, exactly. So he had gone to the BC Holy Cross game, and he was sick and wasn't really feeling up to going out, but um, movie agents convinced him to come, oh, come out and, you know. Shake some hands and. Let's get some dinner. So they went. Um, Let let people say, like, oh, I partied with Buck Jones last night. (laughs) Right. Um, And he died two days after after the initial injuries in the fire at age 50. There were reports that he initially escaped the fire, but went back in to save others. But it's hard to know if that was just a publicity story sure. or, I mean, yeah, that those are the reports, yeah. whether it happened or not. I mean, if it did, then that's very valiant. Sure. Um, so the fire itself was extinguished pretty quickly. Um, and so then it was just a matter of rescue efforts, mm-hmm. which it began right away. It was initially really hard for rescue workers to get inside because the entrances mm-hmm. were blocked mm-hmm. by living victims and the dead. Mm-hmm. Mo- yeah. Most of the injured were brought to Massachusetts General Hospital, MGH, and Boston City Hospital, BCH. At BCH, they admitted 134, took in 180 bodies for oh, identification. Jesus. And had about 10 to 15 patients who were initially alive when they arrived die within a few minutes of their arrival. Of those still living after that of the admit and admitted, 19 died on the first day, six died on the second day, and then like one or two a day for the, the next few days. Damn. At Mass General at MGH, they were actually pretty well prepared for a mass casualty event. Thanks to a certain other event that happened a year earlier that made them think we should be more prepared for disasters. What happened a year before November? Oh, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> exactly. So their reaction to Pearl Harbor was, was hey, very if smart. Some, 
hey, if Boston gets bombed, which was probably right. highly likely. They're on a coast. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So they were yeah. they became prepared yeah. and organized for a mass casualty event. They're certainly vulnerable. We yes. Can, we can say that. A, a big city so, on the coast. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so they were probably like, we need to uh, come up with a plan for the, yes. if this shit happens. And they did. They stocked up on supplies. They started their own blood bank. So they were okay. very well prepared for this type of thing. They had good training of their staff. They staffed better. They were they had just had a, a shift change, so it was a brand new staff. It, they were in good shape People to be were dealing fresh, with this. Ready to yeah, go. yeah, exactly. So it actually led to a lot easier and more efficient handling of the victims. So 114 victims of the fire were sent to Mass General, and of those 114, 75 were either DOA or died very soon after arriving. Okay. Um, God. Or within, you know, some hours. 39 survivors were actually made it through the admitting process as patients. Five were discharged within the week, and seven died within the first four days. Okay, but that's still... Yeah. Those are the sadly the best results so far. Well, here's why. Two surgeons at Mass General, Francis Moore and Oliver Cope, actually developed new techniques for treating burn victims using petroleum jelly and soft gauze to cover the wounds. Okay. Which is something you still see today. Hmm. Prior to this development, it was common to use tannic acid on what? burns. Oh. I know, it sounds terrible. Um, it was it was for to stop infections for stopping infections, but it was less effective than this soft covering technique with the petroleum jelly and the gauze, and it was painful. Sure, <laughs> acid, God, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so Mass General also made some big strides in post-trauma psychiatric treatment. Uh, one of the staff psychiatrists, Dr. Eric Linderman included some of the Coconut Grove survivors and their family members in a study on post, basically like PTSD sure. for trauma um, that he started soon after the fire. So this this fire actually contributed to important research in this area. So he's thinking, I mean, talk about, again, thinking way ahead of your time. He's thinking, okay, well, I can get them through the physical part of it. Yeah, but we need to find out what's going on with the mental part of right. Let's of a of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Somebody who survives it. Right, because he was a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Damn. And what's more, so the, yeah, there's some interesting like yeah. advances that are made. Right. Well, here's something else. This is this is pretty amazing. The survivors of the fire were among the first people ever to be treated with a brand new antibiotic called penicillin. Oh, no. damn. That, that, still around. Yes. <laughs> to fi- and, and a hugely important medical advancement. Um, it was to, And they were given that to fight infection during skin grafts, mm-hmm. like for their burns. So due in part to the success in treating these burn victims, the U.S. government decided to support making and distributing penicillin. Damn. So it, it helped. It was like a case study of, hey, no, this worked pretty well in this case. Yeah. So we we should uh, probably uh, manufacture a lot of this. Right? And they ended up sending a lot to armed forces overseas sure. for use during World War II as a result too. So yeah, I thought it was really fascinating that there were a lot of medical advances as a direct result like in this oh, area. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Boston is known for its hospitals too. Um, Brigham and Women's is there. It's also Mass known, General. It's also known for education. Well, yes, I but mean, in this case, I mean, no, I know, the but, but important. Like, you would think 
Boston would be one of the places where like you know, for research breakthrough and technology mm-hmm. would be mm-hmm. coming from because there's a concentration of yeah you know smart people very smart people at <laughs> yes. you know, well known worldwide yes. universities uh-huh. so yeah absolutely so so that makes sense too right that, that, that this is where it would happen so it's kind of like an I guess the kind of British side of it, if there is one, that this tragedy at least contributed some to, to some, some medical pretty, advancements. Yeah, some pretty big medical breakthroughs, which is which is fantastic. Not worth the lives that were lost. Obviously, hopefully, you'd like to think that there are other ways that could those advancements could have come about. But well, and pretty much just about every medical breakthrough is going to come out of a tragedy in one form well, or another. People have to get treated for mm-hmm. it or. We have to discover what causes it and yeah. causes a death or something. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is brutal. I know. So, let's talk about the investigations and the legal actions. Mm-hmm. So, right after the fire, three separate investigations were launched. Okay. One by the Boston Police Department. One is an inquest ordered by the mayor of Boston, Maurice Tobin. And one by the Massachusetts Attorney General Robert Bushnell and Boston District Attorney William Foley. Okay. So multiple levels are involved here. The police department, the mayor, and then the, at the state level, along with the Boston DA. So after these investigations, all these investigations, a grand jury issued a total of 10 indictments. Manslaughter charges were brought against... For sure. Against Barney Wolanski, yeah. the owner, his brother James Wolanski, who was in charge of the club that night, mm-hmm. and the Coconut Grove wine steward, Jacob Goldfine. Fire Lieutenant Frank Linney and Police Captain Joseph Buchigros were indicted for negligence of duty and charges of conspiracy to violate building codes. Mm, oh, okay. So were brought against building inspector Theodore Elraker, architect and interior designer Ruben Bodenhorn. So he was oh, not he was Yeah, he, he made was, it. He was ind- indicted. Um, and construction contractor Samuel Rudnick and construction foreman David Gilbert. So, on the stand, Barney Barney Yes, why do I think he was Barry all of a sudden? I don't know. Because <laughs> we watched Close Encounters. <laughs> oh, that's right. Barry! <laughs> so on the stand, Barney Wolanski took full responsibility for oh. management of the club. Okay. All so right. that let his brother and the wine steward off the hook. Off okay. the hook. Yeah. Yeah. Hook. <laughs> I was like, it was off the hook. No, not that <laughs> off the hook. No, anyway, it was not that version of it off the hook. It was not off the hook like that. It was about far, as far away from that as you could yeah. be. Yeah. It was very much on the hook. Yeah. It was punctured by the hook, completely hanging by the hook. Somebody, anyway. Somebody's been doing research on a tragedy. <laughs> Who would that be? So, Wolanski was found guilty on 19 charges of wanton or reckless homicide. Oh, wow. Okay. Or manslaughter. And sentenced in 1943 to 12 to 15 years in prison. Yeah, I think that's justified. Mm-hmm. So that case, um, the Commonwealth versus Wolanski, is known in case study as an example of negligent homicide. Sure. So where the act is not something a person actively does, but rather no. a failure to take action. Right. Neglect or... Yeah, negligence. Re- re- negligence, exactly, yeah. or, or recklessness. Wolanski ended up only serving four years, 
Because he was pardoned on the DL, kind of, yeah. um, by Massachusetts governor at that point, Maurice Tobin, who was the mayor at the time of the fire, That's as you right. recall. He yes. was one of the investigators. I was going to say, yeah. didn't you just read that name? Yeah. But he went from mayor to governor. Yeah. Which is probably a pretty standard transition in Massachusetts. I, I would think so. Not a very big state. I mean, really. No, no, not, not population, geographically. Population-wise, yes, but if you become, let's face it, if you become mayor of Boston... Boston, you're kind of, yeah. Your next natural step is going to be governor probably, of Massachusetts. Probably. Even though... Because even if you're mayor of Boston, mm-hmm. in some ways, you probably are governor of Massachusetts. Kind of, yeah. I mean, really. Even though Boston is not the capital it is of not. Massachusetts. No. Yeah. Springfield? Springfield. That's where the Hall of Fame is for okay. basketball. Isn't it where the... Uh, Simpsons live in the Springfield? I don't think they've ever clarified that. Really? Yeah, well, because there's what like there's like four or five. No, you're thinking of right of the no, right. No, no, no. I don't mean Massachusetts. I mean that they live oh, in a city I called gotcha. Springfield. Yes. Yeah, I don't. It's like a running Minnesota. joke. Which Springfield Wait, they're gotcha. in? Gotcha. Because it's like Illinois mm-hmm. and yeah, a lot of other states have it. Yeah. So, uh, so Lansky, Lansky got out in four years, but it was actually a pretty shallow victory. Because for a couple reasons. When he was released, Wolanski was riddled with cancer. Oh, yeah. He told reporters... Maybe that's why they let him out. Well, he told reporters, I wish I'd died with the others in the fire. Yeah, I bet he did. And he died in early 1947, nine weeks after his release. Shit. So, I mean, it was... Well, you know, whatever. It seems uh, like I'm dead anyway. Yeah. Like it doesn't really matter. Of the other charge, of the others charged, most were acquitted and none served time. Really? Yeah. Okay, so, so just this Polanski, guy. Okay. Four years. Well, he and then death by cancer. He stood up there and took the bullet and said, "Hey, this is on me." Well, he didn't claim responsibility for the fire. He just let his brother and the wine steward off the hook. He said he was responsible for the club that night. Sure. So, I mean, so he was making himself the target over those yeah. other two, but yeah. he wasn't necessarily claiming that True. he was responsible for the deaths anyway. So, as you alluded to before, the fire ended up changing fire code for public places in oh, the yeah. state. Well, the Commonwealth, sorry, of Massachusetts, as well as other states. Um, these changes included. Banning doors that swing inward to a building because that's just a stupid idea. Pretty much the most the the second most obvious one actually. Right. The obvious one being the fucking revolving door. Well, well, let's get to so we're I, still going on. Okay. Yes. As the main. So, banning doors that swing into a building, banning flammable decor. Yeah, that's that's another good one. And requiring high visibility exit signs. Sure. So it required that exit signs have their own wiring, like their separate electrical So they have emergency lights. Yes, Yes. and that they would be very bright so that they would be visible in smoke so people could follow exit signs. Fire officials testified that if the unlocked doors had opened out instead of in, at least 300 300 people would have survived of the... Yeah, I bet. It's like two thirds. Certainly, of the dead. certainly more would have survived. That's that's yeah, that's yeah. not mm-hmm. debatable. But yeah, updated God. code here. Here's where we'll get to the revolving doors. Updated code also required that revolving doors had to have at least one regular swinging door yes. next to it. And you can notice that today. Yes. Like there's always a regular. You have your op- You have a choice. Yes. You have a crash bar door next mm-hmm. to it or a revolve the revolving yeah. door. Usually there's a crash bar door on either side of it. Yes. It, it's it's either. Um, 
one or two, it, it can yeah. either be flanked by them or, yeah. Um, and I'm sure it, it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction Probably, how many but there. you've got to have at least one. Yes, yes, uh-huh. So these new codes led to the formation of commissions in several states that would come down hard on any establishments that violated any of them. So that harsh punishment became a catalyst for better fire safety in general sure. in the United States. So there were medical advances and fire code advances in the U.S. as a direct result of, of this fire. Yeah, most building code in America has revolved around a fire. Yep. I mean, it yeah, really has. Yeah, well, that's the the safety code mm. is large. When do people panic? Yeah, Usually fire. fire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, shooting situations, which sure. historically that, haven't really been much of a thing, but something now are becoming a thing. But we already have a lot of code in place just for because of because fires of fire. so that make a grass because, a lot Because easier. I think, um, God, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but I, I'm going to say like in the late 20s, there was like a garment factory in New York City that caught on fire. Which, hmm, led, which led to a lot of original building code, mm. and this one obviously made right. building code even better. Right, yeah. Well, yes, it wasn't, yeah. it was, it, these were gradual, gradual steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And obvious shit, like, yeah, a door shouldn't open inward. You would think, from, right? <laughs> well, and the, and the Victoria Hall fire, yeah. or stampede, Locks, happened uh, years almost, before and this. Almost, like, in, almost in the same this. fashion. Yeah, the inward door yeah. bolting. Locks, yeah. uh, exit doors. Yeah. Know, so. Yeah. So the remains of the original Coconut Grove were torn down in 1944. Sure. The streets changed and changed level due to urban renewal. And for years, the site was just used as a parking lot. But now most of where the club was is now under what is now the Revere Hotel. Oh, Okay. A little south of uh, Boston not. Public Garden and Boston College. When we go to Boston, mm-hmm. let's not stay there because I wouldn't want to see <laughs> fucking ghosts of coconut grove <laughs> victims in the hallway. There's apparently a plaque nearby. I'm sure. It'd be interesting to see that plaque. Yeah. I'll go see that. Yeah. I won't mm-hmm. stay at the hotel, though. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I don't particularly have some no, affinity be... for the Revere Hotel. I'm sure it's no. lovely, but... That, they're they're would, welcome to they're, they're welcome to sponsor but us. But there would be something creepy as fuck about that though, wouldn't there? Same, I I don't know. I don't. I, I but I I guess I've never been somewhere where it was like, oh, this was a scene of a whatever, whatever. No, I don't. I'm sure, I haven't been either. The only the only thing I know of is that one time I've told you this story, but um, my aunt and uncle and two cousins lived like to my memory because. Um, lived in the house that my um, my grandparents on my dad's side owned. So this is my aunt and uncle on my dad's side. Um, and that my grandfather died in. He died on the toilet. He died like Elvis. Oh, okay. And I remember one time my cousin Becca was like, oh yeah, that's where Grandpa Martin died. Like literally a toilet I have used because <laughs> oh it's the toilet in the house. Like, Grandpa Martin died on that toilet. That is creepy and as shit. I remember hearing that for the first time. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. I never heard like, of I'm that I'm never story. using that toilet ever well, again. Well, so here's the thing. It, that's not what happened. Sure. I mean, they used the toilet every day. Sure. There. So I I thought it... I was more just like, I didn't know how he died. So sure. that was more that the, was shock the shocker to me. Not necessarily the sight of sure. it. Um, so... But I've never been, to my knowledge, like, oh, so-and-so hanged himself there, or um, this is this was a burial ground or a cemetery or something, 
Or like the, the, some the sort only, of tragedy. The only thing we've done that even comes close to that is the World when, Trade Center. No, no, no. Oh. When we went on that um, the ghost tour. Yes, in Durham. In Durham, yeah. Well, but also like we've been to the New World Trade Center, one tr- one World Tower or whatever. The, the freedom, new. Yeah. Yeah, we've been to that area. The freedom Tower. Yeah, Freedom Tower. Yeah. And I mean, that's where like thousands of people died. So. Yeah. Well, I, well, we we decidedly. We didn't go inside. Not to go to like the memorial. We, were we didn't like, go inside. Rrr. But I mean, but we're we at were the there. Site. We were there. Yeah. So. And by the way, it's it's actually really pretty. Like yeah. those mm-hmm. those buildings. That, I mean, are really. Yeah. Because that main um, that main terminal on the ground level. That's the that's where the subway is coming in. Yes. And that uh-huh. was a really cool looking building. Yeah. It really was. So I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel the same like. I mean, it's more of a, oh, s- solemn, take a moment of silence sort of thing. Not a, this is creepy. I don't know. Yeah, that's find true. It creepy. Yeah, I don't know. It's sad. It, yeah. And there are sad that, things, that is, but they're not creepy sure. things. But then again, I've never been somewhere it's like, this was the scene of a, this guy slaughtered his whole family. That might be a lot creepier. Yeah. You know, or here's where Ted, Ted Bundy hunted down one of his victims. Yeah. That would be creepy. Yeah. But something like this, I mean, it's just sad. It is. It's and really sad. 492 people. And think of... I mean, I'm sure there might have been places like this, probably in New York City, maybe in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. places like this. But think about how like innovative this club was trying to be. It had all these different rooms... It had a freaking retracting retractable roof. On well, the top it had floor. just been like revamped. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it was probably. I mean, there was probably a reason that there were a thousand people there. Right, because it was a hop was, in place. Because yeah. it was something like special that nobody had really ever kind of experienced before. Right, and it was a super trendy, super popular place. Yeah. yeah. So, and people are going off to war. This is 1942. Yes. So yes. people are like, hey, I've heard about this place. Yeah. I'm going to be stationed in Boston. I'm getting fucked up here tonight. Or, right. Or you know, go, get, going to be shipped out soon yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Or just going to see a football game. Yeah. Going to see a college ball game. No, it's, at Fenway. But that, you I know? mean, I'm just looking at that picture and it's I just I know. Like, the, of the burn. Just, I can't the imagine the actual fucking building. carnage of what it must have been like to survive. Yeah, I don't recommend looking up the pictures unless you kind of want to see exactly what you would think you would see. Yeah, the picture I'm looking at, we referenced it before, but it's it's a picture of what's left of this one room. Right, one of the lounges, yeah. And it's not pretty. Yeah, no people But there's no But there's no bodies or anything. Well, well, there's a guy cleaning up. Yes. That's it. Yeah, yeah, uh, good luck cleaning that up. I know. Do what they did, they Mm -hmm. just raised it. Mm -hmm. So, God. So that was the Coconut Grove fire. Yeah. I knew that that was a bad one and a brutal mm-hmm. one, and I didn't really know the details of it though. Yeah. I, and for I, I, I really thought it was in Chicago for some reason. Hmm. I don't know why I thought. Maybe that. because of the Iroquois Theater. I guess maybe maybe that's part of it. Yeah. But uh. But and, um, should we should we be super corny and because we're recording on Thanksgiving say something we're thankful for? Sure. <laughs> I am thankful I haven't died. It's horrible oh, nightclub shit. fire. Or in um, a space shuttle accident due to negligence of my superiors. Or a forest fire. Or Yep, or a forest fire trying to, like, save people's homes and lives. Or um, in a, a limnic eruption. <laughs> yes, that's right. I was trying to think of what that word was. Or in a, um, a pass in the mountains of Russia. Yes. Or of my mom taking um, a anti-nausea medication. I will be. 
killing I, me. I will hopefully be thankful that when I die, it won't be a mystery of why I died. Right? And they'll be like, oh, he had a heart attack. Right. On the toilet. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful <laughs> I haven't died though. in an earthquake. Yes. Or a plane crash. Or a building collapse. Or a building collapse. If you can't see the running theme here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of... Uh, yeah, these are obviously these are all topics we've covered. These are types of disasters, and we just yes. reeled off uh, about a dozen. Yes, and there's many more of those types. Yes. I'm not sure about the limnic eruption. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a pretty. Uh, uh, the, that's the only recorded one. Yeah, but that's a pretty unique one. It is. But it happened. It did. It did happen. So that's that's kind of part of doing this too. Is like. When you see the misfortune of others, you mm-hmm. realize your own fortunes, oh, sort yeah. of, you know? And we are definitely fortunate that none of that has happened to us. Or Not to, that it couldn't any, or, or won't. anyone we know. Yes. Yeah, right? We haven't had this type of tragedy touch our lives. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Any of them. Right. Thank, thank fucking God. Mm-hmm. But, and uh, hopefully it never will. Yeah. But, I mean, we've made it this far, and that's more than those people got, you know? Mm-hmm. There were, there have been children who have been victims of this. A lot of these people are probably in their 20s. Oh, I'm sure. You know, which Early is younger 30s. than us. And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's what, that's what I'm thankful for. I am thankful for the same. <laughs> and I'm certainly thankful for this year. Yes. It's been, been a great year. Has been. And I'm thankful for all of our listeners because... Yay! How many listens did we get today on Thanksgiving, by I the way? I got like 68 listens yeah. today or something like that. Not that I watch it obsessively. So hopefully those people were like listening to it while they... Well, hopefully they were not listening to it while they were traveling. But some people well, might have been. Or listen... Like, it's okay to, to listen to like a non-airplane disaster when you're on an airplane. That but is don't true. listen to the disaster. Not while you're... Yeah. Not while you're on it. Yeah, just don't... Yeah. But uh, that was curious because I figured... Uh, I remember thinking about it last night. I'm like, well, we're probably going to take a pretty good dip tomorrow. Mm. Like, it's Thanksgiving. Like, who wants mm-hmm. to listen to a tragedy right, right. podcast about tragedies Apparently. on Thanksgiving? Well, for some people, too, I know Thanksgiving is sort of a tragic time because they either have to spend it with family they don't like or don't have family and yeah. don't have anyone to spend it with. So if that's the case, you are always welcome to spend it with us. We're here. Listen to us anytime you'd like. Yes. We're with you in spirit. Yes. And with with our bad things. If I I could ship you a family and a turkey, I would would do it. Or a tofurkey. No. Well, Um. (laughs) I would ship the tofurkey. I would ship. You can all you can piggyback with the tofurkey, but he's got to have at least both. Okay. Yeah, the option. All right. Yeah. The turkey and the tofurkey. (laughs) All righty. So, yes, we're very thankful to you, our listeners, and that was our bad thing and goodwill for you all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was a, that was a brutal episode yeah. and very famous thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, that was the fire at the Coconut Grove, Boston, 1942. Mm-hmm. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>